Want a bank that was ranked among the top in the nation for business banking? Whitney Bank has you covered with nearly 200 locations across the Gulf South. So stop by today. Learn more at HancockWhitney.com. Member FDIC. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers' Comp and by Shewitt and Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas, and Basic Swim and Gym on Magazine Street, right next to Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. In business, if you have a choice between spending money and not spending money, most people opt for the latter. There are some things that you have to spend money on, rent, payroll, taxes... Uh, There are other expenses that are optional, like marketing. Then there's a whole other category all to itself, hard-earned money that you'd rather not spend because you're getting nothing for it, but getting nothing is kind of the point of what you're paying for. And I'm talking about insurance and cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is one of those things you think other people might need, but probably not you. You might vaguely remember something about Target getting hacked or Home Depot, But if you have a small business, it's not going to happen to you, right? Wrong. That's why Jeff Elkins and his co-authors wrote the book, The Architecture of Cybersecurity. It's a guide for businesses looking to implement a cybersecurity plan. Author and attorney, Jeff Elkins, welcome out to lunch. Great. Thank you so much for having me. If your business does get hacked and your business gets disrupted, you're going to incur expenses putting everything back together. And you'll also probably suffer a loss of business as the result of the unwelcome bad publicity. The good news about getting hacked, if there is any, is that these days, along with all the other potential disasters you can insure your business against, you can add cyber intrusion to the list. Here in New Orleans, insurance company Gillis Ellis Baker has been insuring local businesses long before there was an internet, since 1933. Today, one of the company's specialties is cyber insurance. The president of Gillis Ellison Baker is Anderson Baker. Anderson, welcome out to lunch. Thank you very much. Now, Jeff, I can see why you wrote this book. If I own a business, protecting myself from being compromised online is something I simply have to educate myself about. Even if I'm going to hire an IT person or an IT company to take care of cybersecurity for me, I'm going to need some sort of basic understanding of what's going on. Your book, The Architecture of Cybersecurity, is not cybersecurity for dummies, but it's also not a technical how-to manual. It seems to be something in between. So let's start with the basics. If I own a business, what are the fundamental things I need to understand to protect myself online? Well, I think uh, if you own a business, uh, the important thing to consider is that cybersecurity isn't just technical IT things. It's There's also a lot uh, having to do with policies, procedures, and people. Uh, so you can have all the technical know-how and gizmos and gadgets to protect yourself, but um, if the people running your business aren't educated, if your employees aren't educated, um, if you aren't educated, and if you aren't using the tools that you have properly, you're 
you're you're going to expose yourself to uh, legal liability. And you, you brought up a good point. So it's not just the IT people that have to understand this. Everybody at the firm has to get it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Everybody has, in the firm has to get it. Everybody in the company has to get it. Um, you know, a good company will be able to instill a culture of privacy in its employees. So the employees are thinking about protecting your information, and they're not just relying on, um, you know, their their technical software. What is the legal liability for getting hacked? Perhaps the overarching law that applies to the most industries is um, the FTC, Section 5 of the FTC Act, uh, which is um, laws preventing unfair and deceptive acts and practices in your business. Um, under that law, if you do not uh, employ reasonable cybersecurity standards to protect information, the FTC can uh, investigate you and uh, bring an action against you. Now, Anderson, when we buy insurance and we come to sign our insurance policy, even homeowner's insurance, we discover that a reasonable person might consider a simple agreement, if your home or business gets destroyed, we'll replace it is in reality a 30-page document, much of its reasons the insurance company has come up with to actually get out of paying you. One of the functions as the client's agent is to protect the client from as many of these exclusions as possible. When it comes to fire and business interruption, most of us can, can understand that. But when we're talking about cybersecurity insurance, where do you begin? How do you put a monetary value on the contents of your online information? And how much should I expect to pay for that kind of protection? Peter, the, the coverage is not terribly expensive. A small business with a, a storefront business might pay $1,000 for this coverage. A large enterprise, will you can get into six figures fairly easily. Um, the issue is the, the, the insurance underwriters rate insurance based on the number of contacts you have, number of credit card transactions, if that's the case, number of customers you have, depending on what it is. So they're going to rate it based on what their exposure is. Their exposure per client is not that big. It is just the number of clients that really scares them. So if you have, if you're a restaurant that has 80 people a day come in with a credit card transaction, that's one deal. If you are, on the other hand, a very large retail organization that has thousands of people come through the doors every day or every week, that's a big exposure. And, and their liability is not so big per transaction or per customer, but when you get into the aggregate of that, that's where the insurance companies get really scared and really want to, to, to Jeff's point, underwrite, understand what you're doing, how you do it, what your procedures are to keep them from paying claims, not because they don't want to, but because they don't want to take on a risk that is not... Um, safety conscious, not, not uh, risk averse. Now, Anderson, this has got to be kind of just part of your package in that, you know, you take on a client and you're looking at all the different uh, ways in which you can protect them. I mean, you're, you're, I assume you're, you're going out and seeing what, uh, what risks are, are obvious and then what risks, um, you know, might be hidden under somewhere. Cybersecurity is uh, just part of, uh, part of the plan. What do you talk to them about? I mean, do you have to convince clients that they need this aspect of insurance? You really have to talk them into understanding what their exposure is, both legally as, as promulgated by various regulations, but um, as they see their, their uh, competitors. No one buys insurance, cyber insurance, until their competitor gets busted on a cyber claim, and then they get religion real quick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like my... 
The one that stands out in my mind is, remember, uh, it was a few years back, but Sony got hacked and four movies that hadn't been released were, were taken out there. So I guess we think of that as uh, product or intellectual property, which is the other thing. So we were mentioning one of the more obvious business uh, problems of credit card data and all of that, but it's bigger than that. I would, uh, Jeff, what, what are some of the other things that people could lose? One of the biggest things um, that Sony lost uh, in the hack is just uh, reputational damage. I mean, um, do you really want to trust your information? Do you really want to, um, you know, um, engage with a company that um, suffers a huge hack and loses all their information? What happens when you give them your information and they're still, uh, you know, not up to snuff? Um, I think Target said really that protected? after their big uh, hack. Well, I think Target, Target happened in 2013. Um, as I last saw, I think they finally settled all their remaining um, lawsuits um, and claims uh, this past May. And they said the cost of that hack was over $202 million. When they factored in loss of customers? And yeah, loss of customers, everything, the cost of the breach was $202 million. And, um, you know, what's interesting, there, there's so many things that went wrong for Target in that scenario. But one of the very first things that went wrong for Target was the fact that they weren't actually hacked directly. Who was hacked was the HVAC company that was uh, doing services for them. The company had uh, access to Target's internal network and they were hacked in a completely unrelated hack. Um, once the hackers got into that company's network and found out via that company they had access to Target, they were able to employ their malware um, and gain all that information. That must have helped people get even more paranoid. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're okay here internally, but something else could get us. Oh, oh yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not even good enough just to protect yourself, but you got to make sure that the people, the, the third-party vendors that you contract with are also protecting themselves. And, you know, that goes back into, again, the legal realm where you got to look at those contracts and make sure that those contracts have confidentiality provisions, that those contracts uh, make sure that they enforce reasonable cybersecurity standards. So to make sure those companies protect themselves to protect you. Now, one of the things I think about is you know, when I hear somebody become an expert on this, you were, you're a lawyer, obviously. Uh, were you hacked and then just decided to get in this business to solve <laughs> cybercrime with big S on your chest? Or? Well, I, I, th I think everybody's been hacked at one point or another. Uh, in fact, there's a website. Uh, it's called, uh, I think it's called Have I Been Pwned? Um, pwned <laughs> is spelled P-W-N-E-D. Um, and that website takes all the information from all the hacks, um, and if you put in your email address, it will tell you what hacks your email address or personal information has been exposed in. So it's 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 a it's a really interesting tool to see where you've been hacked. And yeah, I've I've been hacked several times. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Jeff Elkins, attorney and co-author of the book The Architecture of Cybersecurity and Anderson Baker, president of Gillis Ellison Baker. They've been selling insurance here in New Orleans since 1933. Now, Anderson, what was your background? I mean, I guess you always knew you were going to be in the insurance business. Oh, well, my grandfather suspected it, my father confirmed it, and I lived up to their, their fears. <laughs> I want to hear that you're a saxophone player and just uh, finally went back. I, and I did trumpet at LaSalle School in, in uh, sixth grade, so all right, I got that. All right, because those are the tapes that were given to us before the show. And I just, 
Now, when you're, uh, this is such a new area. I know there's conferences of insurance executives all over the country. Is this one of the things that now is on everybody's agenda? It is huge on the agenda, and I'll tell you why, Peter. The, the, the insurance market right now is currently very soft. Prices are low, capacity is high, appetite is great, everybody wants everything. Uh, they are scrambling to get money in. There's nothing on the known radar that can, ri- can raise prices. For instance, this hurricane that we've had recently, Harvey, is not likely to change the market except on a, on a little bitty blip. The market, the insurance market, is very concerned about a cyber attack. You can read all sorts of, oh my gosh, scenarios of the grid coming down, the electrical grid, and what that does with out-of-service issues throughout the world at hospitals and cities and utilities and what have you. It comes when when that type of event takes place. Uh, Lloyd's puts out a very long white paper of the cascading economic effect of such such an event um, and how it really relates to the large Fortune 500s and then how it trickles down to the rest of the world. And then you talk about a several hundred billion or trillion dollar event. A a hurricane changes the income statement of the industry. This type of event changes the balance sheet of the industry, and that's what they're worried about. So they they look at this with all sorts of what-if scenarios that that none of us can come up with. Well, I'll ask each, what what keeps you up at night? Is there there one scenario that just... Pops into your dreams, or um, uh, I hope you have better dreams. Than yeah, this, by the I, way. Do. I do. <laughs> I've got scenarios of my own business having cyber issues, ah. and we have a very robust policy. And that would uh, look ironic. Yeah, it, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cobbler's children have no <laughs> shoes. Um, so we have a policy with a little p and a policy with a big p. We are well insured, but we think well protected. It can happen, certainly. Uh, but, you know, I've got the same fear that every other business ought to have, which is that my data gets out there and what the costs are and, and my, my responsibility to my clients, et cetera. Jeff, did you have a background in, with some sort of technology? Because your book is terrific. It, it really is, a, it's a, it, it is not, you know, it is not very technical, but it's technical enough to understand it. And I like it because each chapter is broken down into... Uh, a different way different people are, g- are going to experience uh, cybersecurity. Were you like a computer nerd or something? <laughs> well, I, I like to consider myself a computer nerd. <laughs> um, I, I'm actually, uh, I hold the CIPPUS designation. That stands for Certified uh, Information Privacy Professional, and the U.S. part, of course, is a focus on U.S. law. And I personally have always been interested in computers and technologies. Um, a few years back, a few years back, I uh, I built my own computer, um, and this this just field uh, interests me a whole lot because there's just so much more to it than just the technical aspects. You had me at built your own computer. I think that was the. Uh, <laughs> you know, one of the things I've read is is that uh, something like half of all businesses have been. Hacked. Is that about what the right percentage is? Or yeah, is yeah, well, there's uh, some studies by the Ponymon Institute every year. The Ponymon Institute does a study where they produce all sorts of alarming numbers. Um, so I can't tell you, I can't think of off the top of my head what the actual number is, but it's, it's, it's in that ballpark. And I think most companies are going to get hacked in some way, shape, or form during their lifetime. I don't think that is a controversial statement at all. Is a lot of them um, ex-employees? No, I, th- I think the, the hackers come from 
the dark web, uh, people who are you know sitting in, in, a, in a coffee shop in in a second world country, um, just having a grand old time, stealing stealing a thousand dollars from you and a thousand dollars from me, and pretty soon you're talking real money. So I shouldn't look askew at the people at PJs. No, no, no. Okay, PJs good. is fine. Fine, they're good. Good idea. Good point. Anderson, Jeff, this is the part of the show we call another great idea. Maybe you've got a friend like this, someone who's always got a great idea for you. They tell you about this job you should apply for, or that guy you should have a cup of coffee with, or a great investment opportunity you should jump on. Now, you can take advice like this, and it turns out to be a disaster. You can dismiss this advice and miss out on something that may have turned out really great. Or you can take your friend's advice, and it turns out to be the best thing that's ever happened to you. Do you have an example in your life or career of a friend who had a great idea for you? Did you take their advice, and how did it turn out? I'll start with you, Anderson. You don't need an MBA or a JD or a CPA in order to, to get in this business. So, so I'm proselytizing to the world to tell youngsters to get in this business. You can bring great value to a customer as opposed to simply a transactional business and you can set up a relationship for life that will reward you handsomely uh, soon. Now Jeff, uh, what about you in this case? This goes back to when I was a freshman undergrad, and I got really interested in philosophy. Um, about halfway through uh, my freshman philosophy class, I sat down with my professor, Mark Anderson, and I said, look, I really like philosophy, but uh, how am I doing in the class? He sat me down and he said, I think you could be great. Four years after that, when I was preparing to graduate, I didn't feel I was great. He said, while you may not be great today, that doesn't mean that you won't be great someday. Um, and I really took that to heart. Um, I really took that to, to mean that I, I need to give myself an aspirational bar to try to meet in just about anything I do. I was going to ask you, who is it at a firm that is in charge of this, like uh, a big firm like I was with, uh, we had a whole risk management department. And then when you get to a smaller firm, is it the same guy that says hello to you when you walk in the door? It is often, it's someone who got stuck with this at a smaller <laughs> enterprise. Sentence to that. Yeah, uh, at, at, a, at, a smaller, at a smaller business, it's usually someone who got stuck with the job of running the computers. In a large organization with a couple of hundred people or a hundred people, you'll find someone whose technical job is to run the computers whether that person is keened in on the cyber threat, which didn't exist five, six, ten years ago, um, so you can't blame him or her for not being, being keyed into it, um, you've really got to educate them. Certainly, that person is reading all of the trade journals that, that, that we all should read in that business, so, so he's keen to it, uh, but it takes him a while to come around, and it takes a real long time to get the owner of that business to get committed to the risk management process. Is it, uh, would it also be if the owner was pretty old? You know, I mean, it just it seems like I just can't keep up with this. Well, or? I'm, I'm pretty old, and, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but I will tell you that, that my, my late father's generation would not have keyed in on this at all. And so, you know, I learned basic with a capital B programming for six weeks at, at Tulane a long time ago. Um, now everybody's into it, everybody understands the threat, and you know, you can be playing with, with your iPhone and understand what the threat's all about pretty quickly now. Now, now Jeff, you're, as a lawyer, are there loopholes that should be closed that they're just not thinking of? 
Well, I, I think one of the one of the biggest issues, I guess, in law that I would look to is the fact that there's there's so much to pay attention to depending on on where you are. But uh, to give a good example, there are breach notification laws, state breach notification laws in 48 states. Guam, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands, they all have similar but slightly different varying uh, requirements. Um, they're not uniform, and um, it'd be nice if we could get some kind of uh, uniform state breach notification uh, breach notification laws across all states, but um, it's just one of those things. There's so much to pay attention to and to comply with, uh, not only um, it, uh, by the different industries that you may be in, but also state by state. Most of us go about our daily lives focused on what we hope is going to go right over the course of the coming day or, or the next week. Part of the reason we can afford to be upbeat and optimistic is because people like you, Jeff and Anderson, spend a day worrying about what could go wrong for us at any given moment. Not everybody has the constitution to be able to deal with thinking about worst case scenarios all day every day, so thanks for taking on that anxiety for us. And thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you, Peter. Thank you so much. Enjoyed it. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Jeff Elkins, an associate at Elkins PLC and co-author of The Architecture of Cybersecurity, and Anderson Baker, president of Gillis, Ellis, and Baker. You can find out more about Jeff's cybersecurity and Anderson's insurance by following the links on our website, itsneworleans.com. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Mr. Matthew Ellison. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitch's music is available wherever great jazz is sold, streamed, or stolen. And, and at MitchellForeman.com. You can listen to the show and to past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and It's New Orleans Facebook page. The photos were taken today by Allison Moon. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Luba Workers Comp and by Shewitt and Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas, and Basic Swim and Gym on Magazine Street, right next to Basics Underneath, Fine Lingerie. Want a bank that was ranked among the top in the nation for business banking? Whitney Bank has you covered with nearly 200 locations across the Gulf South. So stop by today. Learn more at HancockWhitney.com. Member FDIC.